0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly.
1: I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music.
0: Uh, I'm down, thank
2: Now if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. Not many rock bands can claim four decades of brilliance, and even fewer are still breaking new ground. One exception, Los Lobos. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm
3: Jim DeRogatis. The long-running LA rockers, Los Lobos, will join us for a special live recording. And I'll talk about a song I can't live without adding it to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and later in the show, Greg, I'm going to lay a Desert Island jukebox pick on you from uh, what I think we both agreed was one of the best box sets in the last 10 years or so. Orc Records, New York, New York, from Numero Group, I think the finest reissue label in America. Came out around the holidays, right? Mm -hmm. Chronicling this small, independent label, forgotten in the annals of history, that did some of the first and most influential punk rock records.
2: We're looking forward to that, Jim, but first we've got some music news. (laughs) That's the way of the world from Earth, Wind, and Fire, Jim. Every time that band would perform that in concert, the arms were waving in the air. You didn't have to have some guy in the band telling people what to do. They would just respond to that. That was like an anthem for generations of music listeners. You know,
3: the key to success might be if you and I finally got some outfits
2: like (laughs) Earth, Wind, and Fire with those flare pants and the spangles. Maurice White, the visionary in Earth, Wind, and Fire, Dead at the age of 74, but what a legacy he left behind, including that song, That's the Way of the World. Earth, Wind, and Fire ruled the charts in the 70s. They had hit after hit. But it's interesting to hear how Maurice White developed his vision for that band because I call him the Duke Ellington of R&B in many mm-hmm. ways, and he brought together all these different influences. He started out as a jazz drummer, in the 50s and 60s, worked a lot of sessions at Chess Records, worked with people like Willie Dixon and Etta James. Ramsey Lewis had to coax him out of the studio. I mean, the money was good. He was doing all these great sessions. said, listen, man, you need to get on the road with me. And at the time... (laughs) The Ramsey Lewis trio was one of the great groups in music because of the crossover success. The money he made with Ramsey Lewis, those tours were so successful, enabled him to finance Earth, Wind & Fire. And it was just this extravagant kind of showpiece band, the kind of band you might see from the jazz age with a horn section and backing singers and all these exotic instruments. At the center of it, Maurice White, who is bringing in this African thumb piano, blending Latin music, blending R&B, blending jazz, creating this cross-section of African-American music through the decades on that stage with the lights and the amazing outfits, but at the core with these amazing melodies. Again, hit after hit in the 70s and undeniable in the run of great songs. And one of their greatest achievements was the song Shining Star. That, to me, is the epitome of earth, wind, and fire in many ways. The grit with the cream. You know, you had these funky bottom-end bass guitars, those chattering rhythm guitars. The multitude of voices, the choral effect, the call and response, the way Maurice White orchestrated voices in addition to horns, creating the sense of community right there between our ears. You're a shining star no matter who you are, the song says. And that was really the buoyant, upbeat message he was offering in the 70s. This is a time of strife for the African-American community. And the earth, wind, and fire was saying, don't let your heart grow cold. You can work through this. And it was a tremendously optimistic and uplifting message at a time when it was most needed. Shining star from Earth, Wind, and Fire on Sound Opinions.
4: Stop No matter who-
3: star on sound opinions from the great earth, wind, and fire in tribute to Maurice White, dead at the age of 74. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and up next we're going to play our special session with the members of Los Lobos. We invited an audience out to see the band talk to us and to play a couple of songs a few months ago at City Winery here in Chicago. Greg, man, it was a treat to see this band play live. You know, the procession of hot new buzz bands is endless. But co-founders Louis Perez and David Hidalgo have now been writing songs together for 40 years. And I don't think any of the passion they initially had has waned. The level of cohesion around this group with Cesar Rosas, Conrad Lozano, and eventually Steve Berlin is just extraordinary in rock history as Los Lobos has merged these vivid stories from their roots in East L.A. with rock, punk, Mexican folk music, R&B, and psychedelia.
2: That's so true, Jim. Their 1987 hit cover, La Bamba, is what they're best known for, but there's so much more to the group, as proven by last year's Gates of Gold. You know, their first album in five years, but a great one. And as Louis once told me during an interview, the continued collaboration is like a conversation that started 40 years ago. So we're lucky to be brought into a bit of that conversation. Here's David Hidalgo explaining the group's origin.
5: We all met in high school, and everybody was, we're all... Playing in different bands and like the same records. A lot of doo wop, from what I've read, right, was part of it. Yeah, Drift, well, drifters on, the, on the East Side, yeah. I mean R and B and uh, soul music and doo wop. It, it was real. We called them oldies back then. Oldies,
2: uh, oldies, yeah. Moldies. Oldies but goodies. You were all living within a few blocks of each other. Basically. Yeah, we lived right?
6: around East LA, the neighborhood, man. You know, we all went to high school together. Like Dave said, we were part of the the uh, local young uh, rock rockers. There was a band in every corner, and um, we were already rock and roll kids, but then uh, I started, we started me and this other guy started fooling around with Mexican music and stuff, and then we called uh, Louie and Dave and everybody else in the band and it just we were still throughout for a couple of years we were still you know like Louis and Dave had a rock band, and I had my own funk band and you know some kind of r and b band, and Conrad had his big uh, power trio group and but we, we started messing I started messing around with Mexican Mexican music me and me and Frank Gonzalez. We were getting in, in, into like the old traditional Mexican music. of started the thing and it just kind of snowballed from there but along the way we still some of us still had our rock groups you know i was playing in, in dance clubs and stuff like that for a little while it went on for a couple of years but then the the los lobos thing just got a little more, more popular you know it became more demanding and there was uh there was just more more to it you know so we we started playing colleges and all that
2: stuff chris morris's book dream in blue that uh, just came out about the band Lou, you got a great quote in there. If you are a Chicano and you got married between 1973 and 1980 in East L.A., we probably played your wedding. Um, and mostly kids are rebelling against their parents' music, but you guys embraced your parents' music and turned that into a way to make a living for, for a decade. Why this in tremendous love for that, for that music that most kids at that age are rebelling against that stuff? They fed us. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Were there similarities between the Mexican folk music and what was happening in LA in the punk world? Because you wind up signed to slash records. And I I mean, both outsiders in some ways, both anti-authoritarian. I don't want to make the case for you, but, but I heard it when I first fell in love with Los Lobos music. I wonder if you guys did from the beginning.
5: We we played it with the same attitude we played blue cheer with you know we 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 got into the folk music and we got we, we we started hearing stuff like for me was, you know I started hearing things I hadn't heard before you know like some, some of the regional stuff and try to figure it out and I was like wow man this is amazing And I mean there was there was so much to learn so it was the musician part I me mean, kicked in and said man I want to learn this stuff I know. and then being it was, it was our our background, our culture—it it meant a lot. So, so we tapped into something that was important to us. <laughs>
2: You guys infamously played a gig opening for Public Image Limited on their first US tour in 1980. A lot of people talk about that as a transition point. Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you see that gig or were you aware of that gig? So Steve Berlin was not in the band yet. He was in another band in LA at the time. He was throwing stuff at us. Yeah. Man of many, many hats. Um, Steve, what was your recollection
7: of that gig? My recollection was it was like a, like sort of what I imagine, like the Roman, you know, when they they'd pit the, you know, they have the fights in the Coliseum, it was sort of just this incredible onslaught of, of violence and horribleness directed at these poor guys just standing up there playing these little guitars. Just <laughs> <laughs>
2: Con- Conrad- My sense was
7: that they sent them out there to like draw the fire so that when public image went on, they'd be out of ammo.
2: <laughs> Conrad's over there cracking up. Uh, is that true, Conrad? Is he telling the story pretty, pretty quickly? Pretty much. Yeah. What that was the was hardest tough. thing that was thrown at you when you guys were up there? When the bottles, the big bottles, are <laughs> yeah, the bottles. started coming. Well, they First were throwing was,
5: quarters too, and they were trying to make it into the guitarron hole, you know. <laughs> so,
6: so they that kept was hitting mini. me, man. <laughs> I was
7: doing that.
4: <laughs> Just trying to go
7: easy on them.
6: But we understood it, you know. It's like, okay, this is punk rock, right? All right, that's cool.
3: Yeah, but where is Public Image today, huh? You know, who's still here? But we were fa-
6: we were fans of Public Image, you know. we were fans of all that stuff. That's I mean, that's we took everything in and we, we listened to a lot of stuff. And then, also, and then we wound up there, right? We wound up in that that whole with Slash Records and stuff like that. So we wound up, the, you know, through the through the '80s, playing at all the punk rock. Clubs and stuff like that, and some of our best friends were punk rocks.
2: The, yeah, you, you you didn't exactly fit into that world at first, but that transition, as Louis said, in his very pithy but accurate answer, you guys got paid when you did weddings, and you went from making I guess a hundred bucks, several hundred bucks a gig to to nothing. To nothing, right? So did Seriously, you guys, play for a twelve pack? It was exactly
6: that. I mean, you know, for kids. You know, hanging around and doing. I mean, we did well financially; it was great. And then, yeah, we had to we had to take a step down. I mean, we we played over at those little clubs for like seventy five, you know, a hundred bucks for for the night and for the whole band and stuff. It, you know, we 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 understood it, and we we kind of hung in there for a, for about a year and a half till we got signed and all of that. You know, as soon as we got signed, and I was going to USC at the time, and I was uh, on a scholarship and all that. I was getting into music education. As soon as we got signed, we had you know an attorney and we had a booking agency. We had to hold everything, right? And then it was like, all right. I went back to USC one day, got all my stuff, and you never looked back and said, this, this is what we're gonna do. And we, we bought a little van and we laughed our way across the US from there on, you know. Just oh, 85 bucks. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and you still weren't
6: getting fed. Yeah. Uh-huh. We say yeah man after this tour we could hardly wait to go
2: back to our weddings man get paid, you know. (laughs) Go make some real money. Well making money or not, seeing Los Lobos live is a real treat. And here's a sample of that experience. The band performing Don't Worry Baby during our special recording at the City Winery in Chicago on Sound Opinions.
8: Your nervous man Well, don't worry, baby It's gonna be alright You heard the sound of footsteps Still across the floor He picked up the receiver You didn't know what for Then you saw it shadow and
0: out the door
8: Well don't worry baby You're gonna change your thing y'all.
0: life is a fight And then you die
3: Los Lobos performing Don't Worry Baby. We'll have more with the band after a short break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And later, I'll add a song I can't live without to the Desert Island Jukebox. back to sound opinions i'm jim de my partner is greg Cott, and that's a little bit of kiko and the lavender moon by los lobos from the band's 1992 album kiko an experimental yet emotional album that defied the group's roots rock tradition critics love it fans love it the two of us love it even elmo did his own version of that song on sesame street You know, that album is all about using the recording studio as an instrument, Greg. But at the same time, Los Lobos has always been a powerhouse live band. When we were talking to the group in front of an audience at the City Winery in Chicago, I wanted to ask how this great live band managed to reinvent itself inside the recording studio. Here's
5: David Hidalgo. It took a little while. It took a few years to get comfortable. The way we used to do things, you'd book some time and you'd come up with ideas and rehearse them and all this kind of stuff. And then you go in and and try to get it done as soon as you can because you had to, you know, and that's, that was the way we used to do things. It was still kind of intimidating, you know, but it was, uh, it wasn't until, uh, well, when we started working with Phil Froome and Chad Blake, we had had, you know, we did the, the Neighborhood before that, which is, I think it's a good album, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of going back and forth with the record company and stuff, so it kind of took a little bit joy out of it. You know? Put a shadow over that. Yeah. Guy. Down on
0: the riverbed, Down on the riverbed, Down on the riverbed, I asked my lover for him.
5: We got together with, with Mitchell and Chad. They had gone through the same experience so they were ready to go crazy too. So we just, we were all in the right you know the same headspace and
6: yeah, well, we yeah we know. used to we used to go into pre-production. You know, you form the arrangement and everything. Okay, then so you have this thing in your head, right? You go in the studio and you're recording. You you hope that it was like the what we did in the rehearsal, and it was like that for all through the '80s, and it was terrible, you know. And this so then when, when we got into like Dave says when we met uh, Mitchell and Chad and stuff like that, they felt the same way. We were like, you know, we don't want to do a f- effing record like that again, man. And we just a lot of the stuff we did was just kind of already almost like the atmosphere was there. You know, we, were, we went down and, onto tape that way. So yeah. we didn't sweeten it up at the end. Just kind of like we were performing live and just kind of take that idea and just bam, let's, let's lay it down like that, you know?
5: I remember we were working on a song uh, that Angels with Dirty Faces and, and I, I told Chad, I said, man, some backward guitar would sound good on that. So he flips over the tape going on, you know? (laughs) He puts the table, he flips it over and then hits play.
2: Psychedelic record, really, and uh, I I, I see like a whole period of experimentation. It seemed like having your biggest hit, kind of, you got a reaction to it in terms of we don't like it here. It it seemed like and it was an odd, you know, was an odd place that you guys ended up with having a number one song in the country with "La Bamba," the cover of La "La Bamba." You immediately went into the studio and made a Mexican record. I mean, that was your reaction to having your biggest hit. Your management, your record company, everybody, they, they, they were probably like that audience at the Pill Show that wanted to just throw things at you at that point. But what was your determination to take this 180 route from making the Mexican record and uh, you know, making, the, making a Kiko record? Was that a direct response to, to just not feeling like this is where we belong? Louis, what what do you think?
1: Maybe we were experiencing a little bit of an identity crisis. We suddenly were known by just that one song. And we had, you know, you can count how many years we had before that. It was at least 12, 13, 14 years as a band. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: People wrote all over the place that we committed commercial suicide. But I think for us, it was just a matter of just getting back on on track and taking the, the, the focus we had of that huge worldwide hit and put the spotlight on something that really meant a lot to us, and that was our music from our heritage. So we put out a record of, of uh, traditional Mexican music. I think for us, we, we got a big kick out of the, the notion that somebody in Helsinki would be listening to a huapango.
8: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A la nanana na, no, ya no cantarán alegre los pájaros cadernales. Eres chiquita y bonita, y así como eres te quiero, pareces una rosita en las costas de Guerrero. A la tiranana tira, no, pareces una rosita en las costas de Guerrero.
1: I'm not gonna say that we're on this uh, political soapbox or anything, but I think there's a lot of um, a lot of bang you get out of that more than 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 just uh, following it up, than you know, with La Bamba number two or something, you know.
3: La Bamba number two. This is not. Here's Los Lobos performing Maricela from the band's 1996 album Colossal Head on Sound Opinions.
8: Preciosa y qué dulzura. Vamos a bailar Oye Marisela Vamos a gozar Esta bomba negra Vamos a bailar Oye Marisela Vamos a gozar Esta bomba negra Allá en la isla del encanto Orgulloso, yo les canto con sus tierras y sus santo, Hay un a mí me ha dado. Vamos a bailar, oye Marisela. Vamos a gozar esta bomba negra. Vamos a bailar, oye Marisela. Vamos a gozar esta bomba negra Hacer a mí, mi hada. vamos a bailar, oye Marisela, vamos a gozar de esta bomba negra, vamos a bailar, oye Marisela, vamos a gozar de esta bomba negra.
2: That was Los Lobos performing Maricela live on Sound Opinions at City Winery, Chicago. One of the most impressive things about the band is its longevity. The core four of David Hidalgo, Luis Perez, Cesar Rosas, and Conrad Lozano have been together for four decades. That makes sax and keyboard player Steve Berlin, who's been in the band for 30 years, the baby of the group by comparison. But Steve is a prolific session player, and he was also a member of the Blasters for a time. So during our conversation, I wanted to know what he heard in Los Lobos that made him want to stick with them.
7: Well, it was uh, a number of things. Um, You know, the fact that we had two great singers, not just one. We had this, you know, universe of choices musically to make, blues, Latin, R&B, soul. You know, as much as I love the Blasters, and I still do, the Blasters were, they did one thing incredibly well. Dave and Phil are getting along great these days, but back in those days, it was every day was like a cage match. You know, it was like made the WWE look like a, you know checkers, <laughs> and that got tiresome. I have to say, you know, like every day was just fighting about the weather. These guys were have always been very collegial, and a lot of it was just lowering my stress level. It took me a couple of years to actually lower my stress <laughs> level, but <laughs> but I I got there eventually.
3: Plus, you got fed,
7: and I got fed right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> food was a million times better.
3: What is the burden? When I interviewed you at home and we, we went to a, a restaurant, you know, and one of the things, short of being backstage with Kurt Cobain and seeing the way people approached him, what he meant to them, right? And, and he had an interesting thing. He would always, they'd ask for an autograph, he would always give them the pen back or, or take their pen and he would sign their hand, which I thought was a very interesting saying. I, I'm not special, you know, you can be special, right? It was kind of like that. We're walking around, heading to this restaurant, your place, uh, you always go, and the way people would come up on the street, what you meant to people. Uh, do, you, do you feel there's a special sense of community that Los Lobos has created in these 40 years?
5: Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, we've made a lot of friends, a lot of true friends, real friends over the years, and uh, and we're grateful for all of it. And so if someone has, wants to say hello, I, you know, we're, I'm glad they want to. Can the music
3: help heal in these crazy times where we want to build walls? Yeah. do. Well, it saves it, our house. It doesn't hurt.
2: does You know,
5: it, you know I mean? It,
2: it, it does help, yes. I believe it does. So, new album, Gates of Gold, just came out. 17th studio, I don't know how many of you have heard it. Um, Louis, Louis and I actually talked about this record a few weeks ago. I interviewed him for the, for the Tribune, and he, started, he turned the tables on me, and he started asking me questions. He goes, do you, do you critics take, take us for granted? Do, we, do you pay attention anymore? And I had to be honest with him. I said, you know, I think a lot of critics, when you're not the new hot thing anymore, they, they move on to, let's find the new thing. The one thing that struck me about Gates of Gold is I didn't hear a band that was phoning it in. I didn't hear a band that was going through the motions, like making the same record again.
0: I just to feel that moment, that's a the moment when we would run and laugh and play. We'd sing about it, even shout about it, didn't care about what they would say.
2: If I'd heard a new band do those records, I would have been doing handstands and going, wow, this is the, the new thing. This is amazing. And Los Lobos is doing it in their 42nd year. So the fact that you have this longevity and are able to maintain a very high standard, not only maintaining the ties to your early stuff, but stretching yourselves. David, where does that come from? How difficult is that for the band to make a record like that at this point in your career when you have sort of set it all in some ways, and in other ways you feel like there's more to be said?
5: It's scary, you know. Every time we go in, you know, we avoid it to the last minute, you know, (laughs) and then we sit in the parking lot to make sure that somebody else is there before you walk in, you know. (laughs) Just don't don't want to be the first guy there. But you know, over the years, we've gotten to uh, where, well, we're lazy for one. We don't, we don't prepare before we go in. We might have a few ideas, something to start with. Uh, I guess we must still care. We want to do something that we haven't done before, or at least, or go back you know, some, some, in some ways to familiar territory, but it, 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 it's just, uh, I guess, uh, we still believe in it, I guess, and you know, we just want to do is it discouraging you know, at all
2: the recorded music is not, you know, I don't know if it was ever a meal ticket, but it certainly was, you know, there was some income from it now that the bottom has dropped out from the sales of recorded music in a lot of ways. Is that discouraging at all to even want to make a record in, in that sort of environment?
5: Yeah, it, it it is. You don't know if anybody's going to hear it. Now it's uh, you know all the bands. You have to make money on the road now, so touring is more important than before. And then, and so we sell our CDs and T-shirts at the gigs. That's the only place to sell them. Now. Why do another album? You know who's going to? But we do. We'll do it again. So...
3: Lucky for us, Los Lobos does keep doing it again and again. Here's a track from their most recent album, Gates of Gold, made to break your heart, live on Sound Opinions.
2: That was Made to Break Your Heart, performed by Los Lobos, live in front of a Sound Opinions audience at City Winery, Chicago. And here was our last song of the set, a 1999 track called High Places. ¶¶
5: people thanks a lot
3: appreciate it. high places performed live by Los Lobos on Sound Opinions special thanks to City Winery for having us and to all the fans who came out now we turn it over to you have you been following the band for all these decades or were you only familiar with La Bamba share your comments at 888-859-1800 Next up, I'm going to add a track to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's in a minute on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. There
4: I go, much like a leaf that's
0: blown away. So like a child that lost his way, I keep on looking. It's all that I can do. There I go On down the road That never ends So let it turn close some friends
7: Hey, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just the cast away, island
4: lost at sea, oh. Now I'm standing on my own.
0: Standing far from home. Come on. Do
2: you remember? We were shipwrecked together.
0: Standing out of so the far from home. Standing, yeah, I'm on.
2: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to a warm desert island, which sounds really inviting right now, in February in 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 Chicago, Chicago, and play a track we cannot live without. Jim, this week it's your turn. Well, Greg, you and
3: I both were big fans of the box set Ork Records, New York, New York, that the Numero Group, Chicago-based reissues label, put out just around the holidays. Ork was a small independent label, arguably the East Coast's most well-known punk rock underground indie label in terms of setting the model for all of those great indie labels that would come in the 80s. Because you got to remember, the scene at CBGB, the explosion of punk rock energy in the mid-70s, all of those bands were pretty quickly signed to the majors. You know, the Ramones and Patti Smith and the Talking Heads. But Ork was home to many of the first and most important records. It was named after its founder, Terry Ork, who ran a film bookstore called Cinemabilia, and these two guys came in, Tom Verlaine and Richard Hell. These same two gentlemen talked a guy on the Bowery into letting them play at his club, CBGB. The first Ork Records release was television's first single, Little Johnny Jewel. As always, on this sprawling 49-track archive, Numero has included many of the forgotten, and I mean deep, 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 Buried Treasure kind of singles that Ork put out. My favorite is by a band that consisted of three women and one man at the height of their powers. Susan Springfield grew up in the tiny Midwestern town of Appleton, Wisconsin, moved to that New York scene for a time, dated Ivan Krall, who was in Patti Smith's band, Uh, dumped him for Richard Hell, and they were together for a long time. The Erasers was the name of the group, and they've been described as what would have happened if Patty Smith fronted Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Instead of Richard Hell, if you had the Voidoids led by a woman who sang very much like Patty Smith and had that sort of poetic sensibility. They recorded all of one single, and then they were never heard from again. This is one of those groups that, man, they could have been huge. Why weren't they the talking heads? Why weren't they television? I have to mention this. Brian Eno was a super fan, tried very hard to get them on the No New York compilation, I think that the sound of this recording from 1978 is ahead of its time still today in 2016. The tune is called I Won't Give Up by the Erasers from Ork Records, New York, New York, on Sound Opinions. ¶¶ Give Up by the Erasers from the Orc Records New York, New York box set. A real Desert Island jukebox treat. Greg, you can check out our many Desert Island jukebox picks on soundopinions.org. What do we got on the show next week? Next
2: week, Jim, we're going to take a deep look at the
3: music of the Civil Rights Era we got some thank yous to say on the way out. Special thanks to Adam Yaffe, Andrew Gill, and the folks at City Winery. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lin, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and our intern, Libby Gormley.
2: On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say.
4: Hello, this is Joni. I'm sorry that I'm not home. But if you leave me your name and number, I promise soon as I get in I'll phone. New messages. Hey, just got done listening to the... Uh...
6: Found opinion for Patty Smith in 1975. I was a 13 and a half year old young woman who was—I don't want to say lost—but I found myself when I first listened to horses. It was not gender identification. It was not a question of am I male or am I female. It was pure emotion.
4: It was a pivotal change for me in my life. Without that, there would have been not as much guidance for me from a female perspective in regards to.
6: What is possible, and why do I have to be cubbyholed into cutesy, lacy, bobby socks, or why can't I be feminine and strong and confident? To this day, I love Patti Smith for that influence. Thanks,
4: guys. Have a great night.
2: is Wynn Gardner. I'm calling from Durham, North Carolina. I'm calling about the segment dealing with love stinks songs. My favorite in that regard is
4: Love, Hate by Betty Blotow, which a real toe tapper.
5: A lot of anger in the song, and it's just done brilliantly. Thanks. Bye-bye.
7: Yeah, this is Dan calling here from Montana.
6: I thought about uh, one that worked pretty good for Valentine's Day. It would be an old country one by uh, Roy Clark called, Thanks God and Greyhound, You're God.
4: Thank God and Greyhound, You're gone.
0: I didn't know how much longer I could go on Watching you take the respect out of me Watching you make a total wreck out of me. That big diesel motor is playing my song. Thank God in Greyhound you're gone. Thank God
4: in Greyhound. My name is Margaret, and
5: I just called to say, in the air tonight, I agree, great song. I'm from the south side of Chicago, and I spent a bunch of time in New York City, in that time period, and it reminds me of dreamy summer by the
4: pool, listening to it, and uh, my late father. I listen to you guys all the time. Thanks so much. I can feel it
5: Hey, fellas, my name's Kevin, from Oxford, North Carolina. I wanted to relay a little story about that Phil Collins song coming in the air. In about 1982, I was running the press, climbing around on the press, and my lung collapsed. I got taken to the emergency room and rushed into surgery, and I woke up to the first episode of Miami Vice coming on the television with that song. And I was all jacked up on morphine and stuff for pain. And it was ethereal.
4: No more messages.
3: To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.